The first time Ibby Hanlon felt the pain, she was working at her local grocery store in Houston, Texas. She was lifting a huge bag of dried beans when suddenly she felt this awful throbbing sensation in her lower back. It really felt like a razor or a knife just being sawed into your back. And you never felt anything like that before? Never. And then deep in her stomach? The worst day of your life, period cramping. The pain caught Ibby so off guard that she instantly dropped the bag of beans and fell to the ground, right in the middle of the aisle at this grocery store. And beans just filled, like, the entire area. The The whole bag was gone. Mm. And people were stopping and staring and were like, what on earth is going on with you? Ibby had been working at the store for seven years. She was the optimistic and outgoing one of her coworkers. Like, if someone was having a bad day, she'd cheer them up by starting dance parties under the store's overhead music. But right now, Ibby was hunched over, squirming from the pain. She didn't care about the customers staring at her or the beans skidding down the aisle. The only thing on her mind was that she needed this pain to stop. I was definitely freaking out. I didn't know what was going on. I thought, am I dying? Like, what do I need to do? My, my boss got an ice pack. She's like, do you feel like you need to go to the hospital? And I was like, no, I'll, I'll just sit down. Wait, you didn't go home for the day? I wish I did go home. I thought... I don't want to get written up. I don't want to lose hmm. the day's worth of pay. I'll just hmm. work through this. Ibby put on her game face, popped an ibuprofen, told everyone she was fine, and braced through the rest of her shift till she could finally go home and crawl into bed. The next day, she went to her doctor to figure out what was going on. He's like, yeah, I don't know what's wrong with you. What you're describing to me doesn't make any sense. Just take some ibuprofen. It'll be fine. Did that feel like an odd response? It felt like a brush off. Which might have been annoying, but okay, if that pain was just a one-time thing. But no, this pain, it kept coming back. I had begun to hope that, okay, if I go to a different doctor, maybe they'll look at the situation differently. So you didn't have any doubt in your mind that you'd get a diagnosis and that you'd get the help that you need? No, I was very naive. I'm Rima Khreis, and welcome to This is Uncomfortable, a show for Marketplace about life and how money messes with it. Ibi is a listener who reached out to share her story. And it's a story about how difficult and costly it can be to get the care you desperately need. It's also a story about trust, which is really at the heart of any good doctor-patient relationship. You trust they'll take your concerns seriously, and you trust that you'll have a say in what happens to your body. On today's show, the price you pay when that trust shatters. Over the next few months, Ibby would have these moments of intense pain. She'd regularly call out of work, bail on dates, tell friends, sorry, I can't go out dancing. Instead, she'd be curled up in bed, sweating from the pain. I would actually be in the fetal position so much. And I would just be crying, and I would fall asleep from crying. So Ibby went from doctor to doctor to doctor, desperate for a solution. But no matter how many doctors she saw, all she got was what felt like useless advice. Just lose weight, eat less, stress less, give it more time, don't be so sensitive. 
In Freiby, this was getting expensive. Even with insurance, every visit came with co-pays and other charges, which she'd load right onto her credit card. I would worry how much I was going to spend on groceries. I was worried about how I was going to pay utility bills. At the time, she was making $13 an hour at the grocery store, living paycheck to paycheck. And she'd already racked up thousands of dollars in debt over the years. So paying for doctors wasn't helping. And I felt like, well, are all these doctors in on the same club or something? Am I just being a hypochondriac? Why am I having to go to doctor after doctor after doctor? But there was one thing in Ibby's life that felt like it was going right. Shortly after the pain started, she'd just met a guy named Chris on eHarmony. When they met up, they instantly hit it off. I was sprung. Um, he, he had this soul that was very kind. And I hadn't met anybody like that before. A tall, nerdy guy with a deep voice and a warm smile... He'd eventually charm Ibby with his small gestures, like how he'd pump her gas for her, or the time he bought every spice at the store after Ibby offhandedly mentioned her spice rack was empty. After just a few months of dating, Ibby was already daydreaming about their future. I meet Chris, and I just, I wanted to give him the world. He's like, well, I want kids, you know, one or two. Um, well, how about you? And I said, oh, I'll, you know, one or two is good. This sounds so kind of cliche, but I wanted to see, like, a proof of our love and one little person. Ibby would imagine teaching their future kids about their indigenous heritage and her family's connection to the Cherokee Nation. And she'd imagine Chris, a former Eagle Scout, teaching them life lessons outdoors. But as Ibby stepped into that surreal, anything-is-possible experience of falling in love, her pain was like this constant weight, keeping her bound to reality. One evening, the pain was so intense that Chris rushed Ibby to nearby urgent care. When we got in, I was crying, and they checked me in. They're like, well, what's going on? I said, I have shooting pain from my groin down to my toes. It feels like a donkey has kicked me in my vagina and somebody is taking an ice pick and razor blades to the back of my lumbar. When the doctor saw her, Ibby says he seemed surprised and even doubtful she was in that much pain. And at, at that moment, I had actually peed myself when I was sitting down. Here she was in the middle of another episode, the evidence of it literally soiling her clothes. And still... Ibby felt like the doctor, like so many others, wasn't giving her the help she needed. So her boyfriend Chris helped Ibby up, put yet another medical bill on her credit card, and walked her to their car. And we got in our car, and I was crying. Mind you, and, you know, defecated, like peed in pants and everything. Mm -hmm. And I looked at him and I said, we need to figure this out. I'm not going to live like this. Hmm. And he said, yeah, we are going to figure this out. We will go more and more into debt if we have to. We will figure this out. 
Now, I just want to pause here and talk about this dynamic between the doctor and patient. Often we think of doctors as being the boss we should listen to unfailingly, but we need them to listen to their patients too. I kind of see it like a dance. It can be a vulnerable experience, and if they want to move in step, the two partners need to communicate and they need to trust each other. And Ibby, she'd thrown her trust into this system, trusted that doctors would listen to her and give her answers. But she didn't feel like they trusted her. So the dance fell apart. I was starting to get a lot more cynical. Um, I was beginning to feel like I need to put less and less faith in a doctor. Now, you may have heard some iteration of Ibby's story before, maybe among friends or from stories online. It's a common narrative of people, especially women, trying to get care but feeling dismissed or getting misdiagnosed. And there's actual research to back up these stories. For example, women tend to wait longer than men when they go to the ER with the same stomach or chest pain. Research also shows that when men and women express the same amount of pain, observers often think men need medicine, while they think women are more likely to benefit from psychotherapy. And that medical bias only deepens when you break it down by race. According to one poll, a quarter of indigenous people say they face discrimination at the doctors. There are also many studies that show how black and indigenous patients are significantly undertreated for pain. But two weeks later, Ibby's faith in doctors would change. She went to a new OBGYN in a posh office with relaxing music and aromatherapy. And for the first time, Ibby was being seen by a woman. She's like, I'm going to run some blood tests on you, but I really, really want to do an ultrasound on your uterus and your ovaries. Mm. That was new. Nobody had done that before. Ibby went down to the radiology department wearing a blue hospital gown and entered this cold beige room for the ultrasound. A chair with stirrups sat in the middle next to a computer with wires and gadgets. A technician lowered the lights and began scanning Ibby's uterus and ovaries. First an external scan on her skin, then an internal one with a wand. She didn't make a sound, but her eyes got big. I'm like, okay, that's a little unnerving, but okay. When Ibby popped back into the doctor's office, now the vibe felt different. It was heavy. She, she was quiet for a minute. And she looks at me and she's like, the reason you've been in so much pain is because you have polycystic ovarian syndrome. You have cysts on your ovaries. The doctor explained that polycystic ovarian syndrome, commonly known as PCOS, is this hormonal disorder that can, among other things, cause painful cysts to grow in ovaries. The doctor told Ibby a cyst in her right ovary had grown to the size of a golf ball. And I look at her, I'm like, is it serious? And she's like, it can be, but we are going to take care of this as soon as possible. My brain kind of flatlined for a minute. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> to the point I'm like, I don't know. Like, and, and I'm pretty sure it came across on my face that way because she's like, you're not going to die. It's fine. Now, PCOS is actually pretty common. Nearly one in eight young women have it, which might make you wonder, okay, so why was it so hard for Ibby to get a diagnosis then? Well, it turns out PCOS is often misunderstood. And even though it was first identified in 1935, 
many doctors still don't recognize the symptoms. In fact, many women say it takes more than two years of having symptoms to get a proper diagnosis. Two years. Also, because PCOS can cause weight gain, sometimes doctors will tell their patients to just lose weight, which is what happened to Ibby. The OB told Ibby she'd need surgery to remove the cysts, especially if she wanted to have kids one day. But despite the news, Ibby kind of felt great. It felt like the heavens were singing when somebody finally believed me. But if this is where Ibby's quest for answers ended, it's where her money troubles really amped up. The day before Ibby's surgery, she found out that even with insurance and assistance from the hospital, it was personally going to cost her $10,000. My jaw literally dropped. And I said, I can't, I can't pay that. Like, that's a lot of money. But it's not like she had much of a choice. So Ibby did what she'd grown so used to doing. She put it on her credit card. How did it feel to be on the hook for $10,000 for this surgery? It felt impossible to, mm. to be able to pay that down because I was still only making $13 an hour. With this new charge, Ibby was now $25,000 in debt. She started using her credit card young, and debt had racked up faster than she could pay off. Plus, all those other doctor visits were now on her card, too. The next day, the surgery went well. And in fact, it was just in the nick of time. Ibby's doctor told her that the cyst in her right ovary had grown to the size of a tennis ball. She did not know how it didn't burst. And the doctor had good news for Ibby. The pain, she told her, should be gone for good. And that it looks like I should be back to normal soon. Oh my God, it must have been such a relief. I, I was so optimistic and I felt so happy that, you know, things were starting to move in a direction that I wanted to go. You know, now someday we can have a kid. Bye-bye, sis. Hello, children. And to go back to that dance analogy, this is the moment when Ibby finally found an actual partner, someone who was in sync with her, who listened and addressed her issues, someone Ibby trusted. But soon, if Ibby was on this high from feeling physically better, mentally, she was starting to feel defeated. After the surgery, Ibby couldn't stop thinking about how she was now over $25,000 in debt. Every credit card bill was a dark reminder. I saw the numbers going up and up and up. It was starting to feel very suffocating. One day, it all came to a head. Ibby was going through the mail when she saw their internet bill. I just broke down in tears, and it was only $45. But $45 just felt like a mountain at that moment. Ibby fell to the ground crying on the brown shag carpet in their living room, gripping this bill. Chris heard her from the other room and came running. And he's like, it's just $45. I'm like, I know, but $45 is too much. I almost can't pay it because I'm getting into so much debt. Not we, but me. And he looked at me, and he's like, no, it's a wee thing. It's fine. And he's like, why are you crying about this? I said, because I want to get out of this. Ibby couldn't help but think of how different her debt might look had she gotten the care she needed the first time she felt the pain, not a year and a half later. 
It had been a year and a half of paying for doctor appointments, a year and a half of missing shifts and not getting paid at work. And now the surgery, which was supposed to help her have kids, started feeling like a barrier to ever affording them. Ibby started to ask Chris, what is our financial plan here? How are we going to make more money? Because this kind of debt isn't going to work if we're going to get married, if we're going to have kids. We didn't want to start out in the complete red. So they made a rule. No kids until Ibby's debt was cleared. But living in an expensive city like Houston, that felt impossible. Ibby was making $13 an hour, Chris 18. So when a friend told them about job openings at their company in a small town in Minnesota with a much lower cost of living, they decided, let's just apply. Yeah. You know, what's, what's the worst it's going to do? The answer to that question, that's after the break. About nine months after Ibby's surgery, Ibby and Chris, now engaged, picked up their lives and moved from Houston to a small town in rural Minnesota. They got jobs at the same company, Chris in the warehouse, Ibby in sales, and Ibby was now making more than she ever had. Plus, with the low cost of living, they felt like affording kids could actually happen here. We really started thinking about kids because we felt like we were moving up in the world. They eventually moved to a four-bedroom house with kids in mind. Ibby imagined painting the nursery with cartoons from My Neighbor Totoro, one of her favorite movies, and she'd imagined hearing the sounds of kids' feet running down the hallway. But Ibby kept coming back to that rule they made, no kids until her debt was cleared. So that became the priority. Some weeks... I said, okay, we're basically going to eat beans and rice. And they cut back on pretty much everything. No movies, no Christmas gifts, no fun nights out. Driving an hour to the cheap grocery store became their idea of a date night. And for the holidays, they stayed put, even though Ibby desperately wanted to see her dad in Texas, who she'd grown really close to after her mom passed. I just wanted to go home and see him so bad. Slowly, they started making progress. They paid off their car, got rid of some credit card bills. They were getting closer to starting a family. But then, one day at work, Ibby was in the warehouse when she felt a white, hot pain in her lower back. This is like nightmare on Elm Street pain. Mm. I knew what it was. The PCOS pain was back. I, I felt like, again, like this yeah. is happening again. This time, Ibby drove out to a larger city, far from where she lived, to see a doctor her coworkers had recommended. After a few appointments, this doctor had bad news. Ibby's cysts were back. I thought, why are they growing this rapid in me? Am I eating, like, a bunch of steroids or something? Like, mm. like what am I doing wrong? The doctor told her she'd need another surgery to deal with the cysts. But this time around, Ibby had a new worry. Am I going to be able to have kids if I keep having these Dagnab surgeries? Like, mm. what does this mean for our future? And then I'm thinking... How much is this surgery going to cost? But the billing department had good news. With Ibby's insurance, it was going to be cheap. It was only $20. Oh, my God. 
You're that. Oh, my God. Your insurance is legit. Amazing. Yeah. I was like, <laughs> what? How on earth? A month and a half later, Ibby got the surgery. The doctors put her under. And when she woke up, Chris was sitting next to her in the recovery room. And the doctor comes in and she wanted to make sure both of us were in the room. Mm -hmm. And she was like, okay, the surgery went well, a little snafu, and my stomach drops. Uh, Yeah, snafu is not the word you want to hear after a surgery. I'm like, what do you mean snafu? (laughs) Like, okay. Mm -hmm. And she's like, don't, don't worry. I did have to remove your right ovary, though. And my eyes, of course, got big. And my boyfriend was like, why? Why did you have to remove her ovary? She's like, it was the size of a softball and it had engulfed the ovary. The cyst was the size of a softball. Yes. And it actually engulfed my ovary. So what is going through your head? Can I still have a kid? Like, what on earth? Like, I was speechless. Ibby says this doctor reassured them. Don't worry, you guys will still be able to have kids, just with the left ovary. But Ibby still couldn't shake this feeling that she was letting down her and Chris's relationship. When we got home, I told him, I said, I am so beyond bummed right now. Hmm. I know that she had to do this. But I feel like I'm not the person you would want. Oh, my God. Because I feel broken. And I said, if, if, if you don't want to be with me because of this, I understand. Um, he just grabbed my hand and he said, I am going to take care of you. We moved up here together. You've earned everything from me. I love you. Now, all things being equal, folks with one ovary do have a pretty similar chance of getting pregnant as those with two. But Ibby still felt like there was this shadow hanging over her. Over the next few months, life slowly went on. Chris and Ibby's financial situation even started to feel okay. And soon, they had something to celebrate. Ibby remembers calling Chris into their living room. She was about to make a final credit card payment, bringing her debt down to zero. I just looked at Chris and I said, I feel so free. And he smiled at me and he hugged me. He said, good job. That must have felt so great. Oh, yeah. Like, I felt felt accomplished. I felt like I finally arrived. After their sacrifices, now finally, Ibby was both physically and financially free to start a family. Not too long after, Ibby went in for her annual pap smear, this time with a new doctor. This was an initial visit to see, you know, if we jived, because I had learned, you know, hey, sometimes it's good just to get to know him first. Mm -hmm. And he's like, so before we get too in-depth and I look down there, He's like, so tell me about your your history. Ibby says she filled him in on everything as he thumbed through her file. She told him about the pain, the first surgery, the debt, the return of the pain, and that second surgery when the doctor had removed her ovary. And he's like, so anything else about that surgery? Okay. I'm like, well, no. 
And he looks at me and he's like, what kind of conversation did your doctor have with you? I'm like, well, what do you mean? Like, I know she removed my ovary. Like, that's all she did. Like, yeah. He's like, no, that's not all she did. And my heart stops. Like, I, I felt like it physically stopped because I'm like, what, what do you mean? Like, and I, 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 I don't know. Like, is this guy, like, just being a dick? Like, <laughs> what's going on? Yeah. And he's like, um, in the chart notes, it says that she removed your right fallopian tube as well as 90% of your left fallopian tube. <gasps> And I just stare at him like, what? This doctor was saying her right ovary, her right fallopian tube, and almost all of her left fallopian tube just gone. I had innate rage in my heart at that point. He grabbed my hand and he's like, how bad do you want kids? And I said, pretty damn bad, man. Because we're finally at the point to where we can do this. They were finally ready to have kids. And the doctor, he told her, that's still possible, but... I need you to understand the absolute only way that you can get pregnant is through in vitro fertilization. In vitro fertilization, IVF, where eggs and sperm are combined outside the body in a laboratory to induce pregnancy. Had you known that she was going to do this, you know, remove your fallopian tubes, most of them, would you have consented to that surgery? No. I would not have. I would have gone to us and gotten a second opinion. Hmm. Hell, even a third. I would have gone out of state if I had to. We looked at Ibby's medical records, which confirmed that one of her ovaries and parts of her fallopian tubes were taken out. Both Ibby and Chris say they didn't realize that had happened, or even knew it was a possibility. We reached out to Ibby's doctors, but didn't get a response from them before publishing. Ibby and Chris themselves have batted around a few theories for what happened. Is it just that the doctor was bad at communicating and she didn't know how to tell them what happened? Did they just miss something? Another theory, which feels painful to even consider, but it keeps crossing Ibby's mind, is medical racism. She's wondered, does being indigenous have anything to do with how she was treated? You know, you think and they went to school for this. They're going to know better than me. They, they took the oath to, you know, help and not harm And then when this happens, you feel 100% harmed. Ibby and Chris looked into filing a malpractice suit. But she says when they talked to a lawyer, anything legal seemed like an uphill battle and super expensive. She was out of debt, sure, but still living paycheck to paycheck. And for Ibby, she just started to regain her trust in doctors. And now this, this felt like a much larger violation than anything she'd experienced before. Her trust in the whole system was shattered. You know, I would just randomly just start crying. And I listened to a lot of Katy Perry. (laughs) (laughs) Not the end of the world. That was my theme song then. 
Um, <laughs> yeah, like you were trying to stay optimistic. I tr- I was trying so hard. And I was like, okay, slap out of it. We can't do anything about it now. What can we do? Well, we can research. Because when it came to IVF and getting pregnant, she'd once again have to rely on outside expertise. But this time, she told herself she'd go in feeling in control. So one evening, sitting at the dining table, Ibby pulled out her laptop to start her research. I get one of my dogs, sit him in my lap, because, you know, I need comfort. (laughs) Yeah. And they fit perfectly in my lap. They're like little children. And I was like, okay, IVF is what he called it. Okay. And then you get just millions of results. And you're like, where on earth do I start? You know, and I'm like, okay, let's, let's, instead of just typing IVF, let's average cost of IVF in U.S. The average IVF cycle starts anywhere from $12,000 to $17,000. With medications, those costs can be closer to $25,000. And that doesn't even include the cost of all the other testing you have to do. This is going to cost so much money. Because the more research I did, the more dollar signs I kept hearing. Not all insurances cover IVF, and no single state Medicaid program covers it either. Luckily, Ibby's insurance takes care of up to $21,500, which is great, but that's still less than the full cost of a single cycle. The thing is, usually IVF takes multiple attempts, sometimes up to six rounds, which can mean tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of dollars out of pocket to get pregnant. It makes me really sad because it's taking some of the the joy out of it because now you have this industry that's being developed that you're you're basically paying for a human being when this should be a magical miracle moment and yes you know people need help but it shouldn't cost them thousands of dollars just to be able to be a parent And now, Ibby and her husband are in this strange space of trying to figure out, essentially, the price tag. Just how much they're willing to go into debt to have a baby. We we decided that we'll go up to $80,000 into debt for it. Mm. That's your cap? That's our cap, which is about three rounds. And why is that the cap? We want to still be able to provide a mm-hmm. very comfortable life for our kid. We don't want them to see us worrying about money. Recently, Ibby found a clinic in Minneapolis, a six-hour drive away, with doctors who actually specialize in IVF for people with PCOS. She's excited, but also anxious about just how much that'll cost. Because there's the actual surgery, but then there are the travel expenses, the hotel costs, the time off work to get blood work done. It keeps adding up. This time, though, Ibby says she's gained something new from everything that's happened. It's kind of given me some self-assurance in a weird way because I've already had one of the worst nightmares already happen to me. Mm -hmm. I'm going to fight for myself now. So Ibby is planning ahead, saving up for the IVF. The clinic actually has a deal where if you go through three rounds and don't get pregnant by the third round, they'll refund 90% of the money. 
I like don't even want to ask this, but like what happens if um, the three rounds don't work? I'm going to get another dog. Yeah. <laughs> I know that sounds crazy, but no, it's it's I will probably have to take some time off from work and go do something fun and good because I will need time to heal from that and to try to teach myself that sometimes things just don't work out. Thinking about Ibby, she'd done the hard part. She found the good partner, someone willing to make sacrifices for her. She'd gotten out of debt, finally gotten an answer to her pain. But it was the outside factors, the things she didn't have a say over, that threw a wrench in her plans. You only have a certain amount of control. And what you can't control, you have, you, you have to try to accept. Mm-hmm. And just for inner peace, it's important to come to that. Once upon a time, Ibby had a vision of her life, of a loving partner and kids. But this roller coaster of an experience with the medical system put that dream in limbo. And now the deep irony is to achieve some semblance of that life, she has to put her faith back in the medical system and in IVF and hope or trust that this time it'll work out. All right, that is all for this week's show. If you want to hit us up with any thoughts or stories of your own you want to share, you can always reach me and the team at uncomfortable at marketplace.org. And if you haven't yet, you should definitely sign up for our weekly newsletter. It comes out every Friday, and the team always shares some really great recommendations on things to read and watch and listen to. You can subscribe at marketplace.org slash comfort. This is Uncomfortable is me, Rima Grace, Donna Tam, Megan Dietry, Peter Balanon-Rosen, Camila Kerwin, and Phoebe Unterman. Peter Balanon-Rosen lead produced this episode. Megan Dietry is our senior producer. Our intern is Serena Chow. Our editor is Karen Duffin. Tony Wagner is our digital producer. Sound design and audio engineering by Drew Jostad. And our theme music is by Wonderly. This is Uncomfortable is funded in part by the Cy Sims Foundation, which supports advances in education, scientific research, and the arts. All right, I'll catch y'all next week. <laughs>